What we're going to do today is we're going to have the second of two sermons uh, that I did the first one last week on guidance and trying to make godly and wise decisions. This is part two, where we try and apply some of the things that we've learned. If you missed part one, I'm going to do a little bit of a review um, through this sermon, uh, but it's also online. Um, you can listen to the MP3 uh, and, uh, and hear what, what you missed out on uh, last week. Uh, I'll also say that at the end of this uh, sermon, I'm going to leave some time for some questions. So on the way through, if I'm not clear, or if you think uh, I'd like to clarify some bits and pieces, I'll have, there'll be an opportunity at the end of this sermon for some clarification. So please uh, jot down if you have a question uh, on the way through. Uh, how about we ask God for guidance and wisdom uh, as we start off this uh, sermon, and, uh, and I'll, I'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to turn our hearts and minds to your word. Father, we would be godly and wise in our decisions, but we fear we aren't always. Father, forgive us, change us, and equip us so that we might act in ways that are pleasing to you. We ask them for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's see what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to endeavour to see how we can make godly decisions about holidays, uh, about oh, houses, and about how to school your kids. So no controversial topics there. Uh, it's going to be easy. How's that sound? Yes, you're sitting there going, I'd like to watch this. Someone pass me the popcorn. Uh, let's, see, let's see how it goes. Look, the reason I wanted to do this, I, I put up on our Facebook page, I said, hey, we're talking about guidance and making good decisions. And I said to our, uh, our internal church Facebook page, tell us some areas that you'd like some guidance on. And there was lots of different areas that came in, and these were three that kind of stood out. So that's the reason that we're doing them. There's probably another 20, and you can think of ones that you'd like, but, but they're the three that we're going to do today. I think that these three in particular are very important and they affect us in significant ways. On the topic of houses, we can swing between guilt and pride. Some of us are intensely proud of our houses. Some of us feel guilty about our houses. Some of us don't feel guilty about our houses and they should, uh, etc. You know, like, so there's, that's the sort of continuum. How about this one? Uh, I think when it comes to our kids, uh, and houses and our holidays, um, they can turn into idols in our lives, things that we devote all of our time and energy and thought to. Alternatively, they can be areas for greed. Do I really need the fourth garage in my mansion that I'm building? Yeah? So there's idolatry and greed. Thirdly, I think potentially very dangerously, holidays, houses, and how we, how we school our kids can lead us to envy within our church community, not just outside it, but within our church community. And they can lead us, the decisions that we make can cause others to stumble. So what we're talking about today as a church community can have a big impact on us. And as we go out into the world, we can be impacted very significantly in these areas. So I'm hoping today uh, that it has our attention and that we know that we want to be doing well here because what's at stake, I'm saying, is very significant. Well, let's see what we put in place last week. I'll give you a quick overview of what we did last week in part one of our guidance sermon series. Uh, what I did last week was say, okay, what do we know about what God has told us he's concerned about in the world around us? So we can often pray, God, show me your will. And what we mean is, 
do I buy the soft bristle, bristle toothpaste, uh, toothbrush or do I buy, buy the one with the electric motor? Like, I just need your word, Lord. Is it too much to have the electric motor or not? You know, that, that sort of thing. Now, I'm being silly, but when we ask God, what's your will, we often forget that he's made a lot known already. God's actually spoken to us uh, a lot, and he's told us a lot. So what are some of the highlights of God's revealed will? Well, point number one, I said last week, is his Jesus plan. God's ultimate plan is to bring everyone together to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Part number two is that he'll do that by building a church, a church that will be from every tongue and language and nation, and he'll draw them together, he'll mature them, and he will point them to Jesus. God is building a church. Thirdly, the people that he saves, he has good works prepared for every day. So the Bible says that there are good works prepared in advance for you to do. So every day, your Lord is concerned for what you do. And he's got good works prepared for you. On the way, our attitude and our character matter to God. So it's not just what we do, but on the way, he's concerning how our heart is being formed. What the attitudes of our mind are, what our passions and desires are. Are they in accord with his plan? So he has good deeds prepared every day. And on the way, he's concerned about our conscience and our character. And lastly, he tells us that he works out all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He has a good plan that is for your maturity and your development. Often along the way, even though it'll be all okay in the end, we feel like, God, you haven't really kept me in mind very well. I'm having a terrible time. I feel under pressure. I feel things didn't go the way I wanted them to. And what we saw last week was suffering can be part of God's plan to refine and build our character. We haven't dropped off God's plan where hardship comes into our life. But it will be okay in the end because our good God is working all things together for his good and for ours. So the point of saying this is what God's revealed to us is this. The context for me making my plans are his plans. When I'm thinking about what I do with my life, do I ever do so in light of what God has told me he is on about in the world? And if not, it's a great place to start. Very often though, just thinking about what God's told us in the world won't solve all the questions we have when it comes to making godly decisions. So when it comes to making godly decisions, we've got three types of decisions I talked about last week. The first one to think about is, does God have a command for us in his word? Is there a yes and a no from God for us on this area? So we're thinking about, I could do any job, and I think I said last week, one of his commands would be, you're not allowed to be a witch or a medium. Okay, so there we go. My employment is at least slightly restrained by the fact that I can't do that. There's a command telling me I can't do that, okay? There's no command telling you you can't be a stockbroker, okay? No matter what you think. So is there a command, a direct command from God that I need to be obedient to? Now, a lot of the things, we won't have a yes or a no. It'll just not be that category. And in that case, we're left with an area that I have called character 
and wisdom and discernment. So character up this side, conscience across there. And what we're doing is we're just making decisions which are in the, char- in the category of wisdom and discernment. We need to be wise and we need to discern or understand what God's will might be. Okay? And on this front, we're thinking about character and we're thinking about conscience. And I've got these continuums both running up to this corner here where it says high. So some decisions aren't very important to our character. Some decisions aren't very important to our conscience. So I'll show you what that, uh, what that looks like uh, when we put all the decisions up there. In addition to that framework, I wanted to give us four new passages that will help us think about houses, holidays, and how to school our kids. And they're going to tie in with our values. Can you see behind our brick wall over here uh, our sign? Can you probably can't see it over there. It looks very much like the one up on the screen there. Um, at New Life Anglican Church, we say we're trying to build followers of Jesus who are faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. It's the kind of character that we want to build. And I want to point you to some scriptures that will help us uh, think about these aspects of our character. So, uh, under faithful, why don't you see if you can find it? Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is in the New Testament. Uh, It's among the T books uh, in the New Testament. And if someone finds it before I do, you can call out uh, the page number. In fact, why don't I grab the same Bible you're looking at, and then as I flip around, I can tell you what the page number is. 1195, is that right? 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 to 10. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We want you to keep running long with Jesus. We want you to be faithful to Jesus. And so here we see that we need to be a people who are seeking, first of all, contentment. Uh, It's worth you knowing that the advertising industry exists to stir up discontentment in you. Do you know this? The ads are supposed to stir discontent in you so that you want to go and that you want to go and satisfy this need that they've pointed out to you. Okay? So God wants for you, however, the flip side, he wants you to be content. Here's the second passage that will help us as we think about these three areas. It's it's about being adventurous. This is in Matthew 6 and uh, reading verses uh, 33 to 34. Now, they're actually going to be up on the screen there, so you don't need to to go there. And if you stay with uh, 1 Timothy, we'll come back to it in a second. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 to 34 says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Sounds right, doesn't it? At least the last bit. Whose kingdom are we supposed to be seeking first? I hear you quietly mumbling. That's right. Uh, It's God's. Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. And he says, I'll take care of the rest. You put me first, I will help you in every other front. And you think, yeah, 
Maybe he will. It's the reason it's connected to our adventurous value. It's incredibly, we feel incredibly risky when we say, God, your plan before my plan. It feels so exposed, so vulnerable. And God is saying, trust me in this. Seek my kingdom first. We want to be people who are seeking God's kingdom before our own. Our third value is compassionate. And if you're in 1 Timothy still, uh, we'll see how this uh, is um, spoken of a little bit later towards the end of chapter 6 here. Uh, What was it, page 1195? I'm going to read verses 6 to 10. They're not all up on the screen, so if you want to follow along, you can. Sorry, I'm going to read verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. It's a staggering little passage. He commands us to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. He commands us not to be arrogant, but to be generous. He tells us to store up treasure where? In heaven. For the coming age. God is seeking our generosity. He is seeking our generosity. And for some of us, that might be a radical thought. For some of us, you're living it already, and we want to encourage and, uh, and, and support you in doing that. Our fourth value is enduring. Uh, the idea here is of running long, that each of us who start the journey with Jesus would finish it on the final day until we spend forever uh, with our Lord. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 14, uh, which is page... Uh, 1139, Romans chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses uh, 13 to 19. It's a little passage here. I want you to hear what his concern is. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Good start, isn't it? Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if, everyone regards, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what you know to be good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or holidaying or houses or how to school but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Verse 19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Gee, I love this. What are we to seek? I think we're to seek personal peace. That is a rest in our hearts and in our conscience about the decisions we've made. Seek personal peace. But... It's not just selfish, the edification of others. Now, what does edification mean? Building up. 
strengthening, supporting, encouraging, equipping, helping. Not just my personal peace. Well, I'm pretty comfortable with it, but a whole bunch of people around me are really distressed. Not good enough. Our decisions are made in a church community, and we must consider the others. We must do what is for mutual edification, for the building up of one another. Okay, so there's some big principles. We could actually stop there and go, okay, well, now we know how to make good decisions, but let's see if we can apply it. I said that there were three kinds of decisions that we can make. Uh, The yes and no, is there a command from God? Well, we just need to obey that, okay? So that's one kind of decision. We just need to be obedient. The second kind of decision is one that's in this category of either there isn't really a no from God, but it's very important to our character. If it's like that, we need to discern what he wants us to do. We need to pray, God, show me what to do. There's a third category of decisions. And the third category of decisions is, I called it last week, the trivial. The stuff that's not important to character, that's not important to conscience. Toothbrushes are in that category. I think our biggest problem is that we put too many in this category. We don't think about character. We don't think about conscience. We don't think about community. And we just make our own decision regardless of what God thinks. I think a lot of us make very significant decisions without respect to God in this category. And they don't belong there. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's try and apply and see how it works. How daring. Lord have mercy on what we're about to do, hey? Let's talk about holidays. Okay. Uh, first of all, why is this a hard area for Christians to talk about? Well, our world tells us that travel is the full life, isn't it? If, if you can travel and see the world, you're a, you're a well-rounded human. Uh, and it also tells us that we should be living for our holidays, you know? Survive work, live for the weekend, live for your holidays, okay? You, if, you, if you can just scrape through this ridiculous life, then live for four weeks a year doing whatever you want. That's what our world would tell us. As Christians, we struggle with it because sometimes we can feel that holidays might be extravagant and selfish. On the flip side, many of us know they're actually really necessary for our survival. Ah, I don't know how to get through if I don't have a break, yeah? And so as Christians, we get a message from the world saying, if you're not being extravagant in your travel, you're only a half a human. Oh, you haven't been to Phuket. Oh, you know, wow, you know, you're a poor person. You should go. Oh, you haven't been trekking in the mountains in in the Himalayas. Oh, it was so great. Can I show you my 2,700 pictures? So here's the thing. We will wrestle with this and we'll wrestle with saying, well, what if I do go to the Himalayas? Is that the right use of my money? Couldn't I have had 500 sponsored children for what I just did? You know, these are the things that we wrestle with, aren't they? So here's the thing. I want to ask the question, are rest and experiences our greatest good? We really need to let God challenge us on the way the world will shape our brains. It says rest and experiences are the best thing for you. Let's have a look. Okay. What does knowing about God's revealed will will tell us about holidays? Well, first thing it tells us is our ultimate rest is in glory. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. 
That's what it says that Jesus will say to us on, on the final day if we've been faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Do you know if I never have a holiday here, do you know what? It's going to be a glorious one there. So that's worth knowing, isn't it? Hey God, don't you see how hard I'm working? Yep, I've got a wonderful holiday prepared for you. You just have to die to get there. Our ultimate rest is in glory. Okay, what about obedience? Are there any commands that impact our holidaying? Well, I I was thinking of this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I actually think one of the ways that will help us get through is if we work hard to have a Sabbath pattern of rest. And uh, when we say Sabbath pattern of rest, it's not that you don't do anything on Sunday, for instance, if Sunday's your Sabbath, right? So you go, I couldn't go to church because church is stressful. I have to get my kids dressed, you know? I, I, I have to drive. I have to recharge the scooter, ladies. Is that right? Um, I, I've got to. I've got to get out of the house, and I have to. It's hard work going to church. So if I'm really going to have a Sabbath, if I was going to be totally godly, I would stay at home and watch the TV without getting up for the whole day. No, but having a pattern of regular rest where we do actually lower the amount of stuff that we do in our lives will help you. It'll help you get through. I think that's a God-ordained pattern, and it's a command in the Old Testament. Secondly, when it comes to holidaying, it does impact our money, and if it impacts our generosity, we are actually going against one of God's commands. He commands us to be generous. So if you go, well, we've saved up for our holiday, but we'll have to cut back on uh, insert significant thing here. We can't be generous this month because of our holiday. All I want to say to you is that is impacting a command from God. All right, that's obedience. What about discernment? Here's something I want you to think about. Um, Often for us, we would say, God, my holiday is my time. You know, I've been working my guts out. I want to do nothing concerned with anything other than resting. I want you to consider, well, if God's on about in the world the salvation of all people from every tribe, language, and nation, how about you consider using some of your holiday to serve him? Now, wonderfully, on the kids' day camp here, there were people who took annual leave to be here. If you think that's a small thing, I've got to tell you, I don't. I count it as a beautiful thing that some of the adults here put their life on hold to say, I will serve on this day because mission is important. You can consider the timing of your holiday. So you might think, hey, I really want to go away. Uh, and let, let's say Easter is a great time to go away. Um, what if it's also a really important time for our church? doesn't mean that no one can ever go away at Easter time. All I'm saying to you is you might consider how your timing of your holiday impacts the service of the Lord. Does that make sense? You might consider a caravan versus the Caribbean. You might, you might think, hey, you know what? We can still have a holiday and maybe we don't need to spend all that. Just consider it. I want you to consider conspicuous consumption. What I mean by that is, hey, I'd like to go away and I'd like to blog a lot about it so that everyone can see. And look, when you're away somewhere beautiful, and I, I'm sure I posted one or two photos when we were in, uh, in Bali recently, that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that more and more. I, I don't think our holidays have to be secret. Um, I do think they can cause others to stumble. And I do think we can be full of pride and boast. And I think that can actually be quite dangerous for the health of our community, particularly if people don't have the same resources or life opportunities that you do. So can I just encourage us to consider here 
uh, that one. And then the, the, the fifth one I've got here into consideration is to consider other people in your community. Are there single people who might not be able to go on holiday in our community? Could we encourage them to come with us? Are there older people who can come with us? How do we do holiday that's thinking of our community and not just ourselves? Something more to consider. Uh, the just make it stuff. Um, do I go alone or with a group? Uh, how long should it be? I, make a godly decision and get on with it, yeah? Uh, but if you've thought about and prayed through these other things first, I think you'll come up to quite a different conclusion on your holiday. You might do exactly the same thing, but you'll arrive at it differently. So where does holidays fit? I think it fits down here. Um, it's, it's, there, is, there is some command stuff about um, rest and generosity and Sabbath. Um, it's not really huge necessarily on character. Some of it's kind of trivial, so it's kind of down there, I think. I just want to tell you one, one example. Uh, in the blue shirt, there's a guy I used to go to church with called Phil Goodhue, who's a doctor. Uh, he took his annual leave with his daughter to go on a mission trip. And he took each of his kids away on a mission trip as part of their bringing up and part of his loving and caring of them. And I just went, mate, that's extraordinary. Two weeks out of your four weeks of annual leave, you invested in mission because the, the mission of God's the most important thing with your child so that she might learn to serve. I, I, I throw that to you as an example of thinking outside the square. What about houses? This will be easy. No. Why, why, is, uh, why is housing hard? Now, I want to say to you, almost everyone here has already made a decision on housing, haven't you? Uh, and this isn't about making you feel guilty about what you've done. What I do want to do is say, let's think about what we've done and why we've done it, and then think about if we have to make it again, how would we do it well? It's worth saying, um, Cheslonians, you all have made a decision on your housing as well. Um, I just met a beautiful couple who are here today who are renting. You guys are making a decision at the moment. Uh, let's see, why is it hard? Well, our world tells us your home is your castle. It tells us that it's your wealth, and it tells us it's your security. So what's at stake here? Huge things. Parental pressure, societal pressure, peer pressure. Yeah? I think as Christians, we're often wrestling through, what's too much? Have I done, like, am I, should I, have I, can I, what? Uh, we wrestle with, with, the, with the too much question, I think. I want to ask you as we think about this area, who is my home ultimately for? Who is my home for? The answer, of course, is me and my family. Or is my home for the Lord at his disposal? Can you see the difference here? Okay. What does, uh, what does God's uh, word tell us about uh, his revealed will, will tell us about houses? Well, firstly, uh, heaven is our ultimate home. So if you're seeking to build all of your security and strength and wealth here, guess what? You're out of whack with God's line. He's saying your ultimate wealth, your ultimate home, your ultimate security is found in him and in glory. We're like, yeah, yeah, get on with the next point. No, 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 really, seriously, that, that's, that's important. Are there any obedience issues when it comes to thinking about housing? Well, first thing is Jesus says, build your house on the rock, doesn't he? And he's not talking about what foundations you have. He's talking about the foundation of your life. Build your life on Jesus first. It's, we're told in, uh, in 1 Timothy 6 not to trust in wealth 
which is so uncertain, but to trust in God. That's a command. We're told that we have to practice hospitality. It's really interesting. I read some research a while ago that said uh, the average home only has something like three strangers in it each year. As in most people, keep the drawbridge up and don't let anyone in. Where to practice hospitality. I've also put up there, one of the commands in Hebrews uh, 10 is don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. If your home is massively distant from your church, that can be a problem. So you might want to think about where your home is in relation to your church. What should we discern? Well, there's a million things here. Here's some things I ask ask you to consider. Consider my needs versus my wants. I really want. Yep, is that a godly decision? What do we need? And once we start having a look outside of Australia, you want to see what you need. What you need is considerably less than 5,000 square metres of marble. Consider renting versus buying. I really think this is worth wrestling through. Do we have to buy? Well, I have to buy because my parents said it's the thing I would need to do. Because my financial advisor says it's the best thing for me to do. And they're all good reasons. All I want you to do is wrestle with it. Should we rent or buy? I want you to consider, this is, this is third point, but it's probably huge. Consider the financial constraints and how they'll impact your generosity. So your mortgage is the biggest decision you make. And often what we do is we go and we say, how much could we possibly borrow? And they max that number out for you. And that's at the interest rates that are currently what? Historically low. And they go, well, we'll lend you that much. And you go, excellent. How much house can we scrape in at the absolute top end of that? And if somebody sneezes in the, in the reserve bank, we'll all catch a cold and there won't be any money given to church. I'm joking. But you get the idea, don't you? We can be so ten-tenths on our commitments in this very significant area that we actually lack the ability to be freely generous in the way that God would have us be. So this commitment hugely impacts our ability to be generous. I want you to consider that. I want you to consider space for ministry. Hey, maybe I can get away with saying that we need the extra bedroom because I'm going to host a missionary in it. No, no, that's not what I'm, not what I'm saying. But are are we thinking, I need a room big enough to host a life group in my house? I want to have a backyard that's big enough for kids to play in because I want to be able to invite mums around so that we can, whatever it is. But consider the impact of ministry on your housing decision. And then lastly, uh, this is just one I, I bump into quite a bit at the moment, is what does the commute do to your family? And so you might think about where you buy based on that. All right, the the just make it decisions here, one garage or two, tiles or carpet, I don't care, get on with it. And incidentally, as I say don't care, get on with it, guess what, you can obsess on this and you can lose years of your life planning the perfect whatever. And that will impact the kingdom and it will impact your character and you should make some godly decisions and get on with it. All right, so where's housing sit? I don't think there's any obedience really here, but it's high, on, high impact on our conscience in terms of what have I done here. Uh, I wanted to tell you uh, when we were in the UK uh, some time ago for a mission trip that somebody else paid for, how good was that? Um, we were there in Notting Hill and the family had a second house, of course they did, 
Uh, but what, here's what they did. They gave us their whole house for the time that we were in the UK. And I thought that was pretty generous and pretty open-handed. And so it's possible if you go on holidays that you might be able to let someone else stay in your place. Uh, let's think about schooling very briefly. Why is this area hard? Does anyone know why it's hard? Because <laughs> uh, it concerns our kids. And uh, when it comes to our kids, uh, the reason that it's hard is our world says there's nothing more important than your kids and their education. Nothing more important. As Christians, we wonder about the church bubble. We wonder about secular school. We wonder about homeschooling or do-it-yourself. Do it we're just, this is a big topic for us. I want to ask the question though, is their education their ultimate good? Is it the biggest, most important, organise everything in your life around this? Now if I'm shaking any golden statues here, let me shake them. Here's what knowing God's revealed will tells us about schooling. Salvation is our kids' greatest need. That's it. That they would be right with God, forgiven and friends on the final day is their greatest need. Hands down. What do we need to do in obedience area here? Well, the command is that parents are to bring their, their kids up in the knowledge and love of God. That's a command. That's your responsibility. That parents are to teach their kids God's commands. That's your responsibility. And that as a family, we are responsible to be giving the message of new life because Jesus gave us this thing called the not very important commission. Has anyone heard a different name for that? The Great Commission says that we're to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's a command sitting over us. Well, how does that impact? What should we discern? I want you to consider whether, if you're considering Christian schooling, whether you're abdicating your teaching of your kids. Hey, the reason we're doing this is somebody much better than me is going to have a shot at bringing my kids up to be Christians. Possible. I'm not saying that is the reason. I just want you to consider, is that a possibility, that we're abdicating our responsibility? Consider, are we escaping the world? Is the idea that I can hopefully protect my child from this terrible world that's around me? Are we considering the potential financial shackles that this schooling arrangement will put on us? On the flip side, are we considering the needs of every child? Uh, I'm absolutely surprised, and Carolyn and I are both surprised. Uh, we both went to public schools and we've got our kids at Oran Park. And the reason for that is there was no other school here when we started in Oran Park, and so that's where we started. We're both absolutely shocked by that. I think we never thought we'd ever send our kids to a Christian school. Uh, if you're in a state school, the flip side is, are we just going to go with the flow and keep our heads down? Because there's going to be an increasingly aggressive environment there. I've got a beautiful mate who's a minister, and he told us uh, last week, I was hanging out with him, and he said... Uh, Oh, I wrote the principal another letter the other day. I said, mate, what did you say? He said, well, they had a disco the other day. I said, yep, they happen. He said, so I wrote to her and I said, I think the choice of music for my seven-year-old kids was actually inappropriate. I think the language of this song and this song and this song has actually significantly at odds with my values as a family and I think probably a whole lot of other parents here. 
I don't think it was appropriate. So if you go the um, state school route, I want you to be involved in your church community. I want you to not be hiding from the obligations of care and concern and upholding the standard that you believe in. So we need to consider the needs of each child. Uh, the just-make-it decisions, I don't like the design of that uniform, so I'm going to send them somewhere else. Uh, I think the school holidays are a bit too long, so I'm going to send them somewhere else. Just make the decision. Where, where does schooling sit on our, uh, on our thing? Well, there are some commands from God about bringing up our kids to know and love the Lord. There are some things that we need to consider um, in each kid. We need to weigh uh, about their character and about their conscience as well. I want to tell you briefly about a friend of mine who's in, uh, in Fiji, uh, and he has uh, a child at the international school because she's really bright and they wanted to do what was best for her. He has two children at home being homeschooled because they were having social problems and they thought they could free his wife up to be able to homeschool them. They've subsequently sent one of those kids back to school uh, in a different school to the international school because they couldn't afford to do the other one and because they thought that he had developed some friends from the local neighbourhood and that would be what's best for him. Perfect example of free being spread all over the place. Why do it? Because we want to consider the good of each child. The other thing I want to say here is there's absolute freedom here. There is no obligation one way or the other. You're not a good or bad Christian parent if you've made those decisions for your schooling. All I want to say to you is, have you considered in a godly way the decision? Making decisions. How do we do it? There are decisions of righteousness. There are decisions of good judgment. There are trivial decisions. We need to weigh what God has revealed in his will. We need to obey what he has said to us with regard to his commands. We need to pray and show good judgment in these other categories. And we need to know that it's okay to just make some decisions uh, when it comes to the trivial matters. Oh, I want to finish with this. Here's the thing. We're about to have question time and you're going to ask me all sorts of difficult things. All I'm going to say to you is, I actually think there's a lot more freedom here in all of these decisions than you would possibly think. Uh, All I want to say to you, is the decision different because you love Jesus? As in, did I arrive at this totally in the same way my next door neighbour who doesn't know Jesus did? Or has it in some way been impacted for my concern for God's will in the world, my prayerful discernment of the commands that he's got in his word, and have I just made a godly, conscious character decision for the good of my family and my church community? Okay. Uh, Have we got any questions? Anyone who would like to ask a question? The questions are allowed to be about friends. I have a friend who. Is that all right? Tim. Um, At the beginning where you were saying, uh, don't worry about what tomorrow will bring, etc. Yep. Um, How does that impact with how much we plan for the future? Should we not be planning for the future in terms of setting long-term... Yep. Yep, that's really good. So uh, Tim said, uh, it says, do not worry about the future. Jesus said that. Um, How does that impact planning? Should I just not plan at all? Uh, That's really good. Uh, The Proverbs reading said, many are the plans of men, basically, but the the Lord directs their paths. Um, I think we should carry out our planning in an open-handed way that isn't about excluding God. Okay? 
I'll explain to you what I mean. We can plan and say, in five years' time, I'm going to be uh, this rich, I'm going to have paid off my house, I'm going to have my kids doing this. this. And what, we, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to control my life through planning and discipline. I'm going to control my life. If we've got a steering wheel here, we are gripping it, we are pointing our lives, and we are deciding what's happening in our lives. What I want to say to you is be diligent in planning. Be strategic in your thinking. Be disciplined in your saving. Be wise in your decision-making. And in open-handedness, submit your plans to the Lord who could change them at any time. Does this make sense? So when it says don't worry about tomorrow, I think what Jesus is saying in the end, Tim, is obsessing about tomorrow to the detriment of concern for his kingdom won't be for your good. Does this make sense? So it's not don't plan, but if you obsess about planning so that you can have control of your life, that's at odds with godly decision-making, we will plan carefully and submit our plans to the Lord. Does that make sense? Someone else? Question? Yeah, Tom. Um, Brilliant. Uh, t- uh, Tom said uh, mission trips are often well done through a church. Have we got any plans coming? Um, the short answer to that is yes, uh, and I won't spoil the thunder. How about that? Um, no, uh, what I meant to say, there are actually... There, Jeff, you can vouch for me. I, I'm just not making this up. Uh, we have some plans. To, we, we're connecting with a, uh, some organisations. We've got a thing coming up called Compassion Sunday, and we'll tell you some more about that on the 28th of August. How about that for an answer? I'm excited that I have something to say on that topic. Because if you asked us three weeks ago, we wouldn't have. So thanks, Tom. Uh, someone else? No? Okay. I might pray for us. Uh, I want to say, more than anything else, uh, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Uh, it's desperately scary if you've never done it before, uh, but submitting your plans to, to the Lord is the best thing to do. Uh, I'm going to pray that we might do that. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have good plans and purposes for us. I pray that we wouldn't be ignorant of what you've already revealed in your will. I pray that you give us strength to be obedient I pray that you give us patience and time to do the discerning well. Father, I pray that you would save us from envy and judgment on our brothers and sisters, that we might make decisions that are pleasing in your sight, careful for our community, and Father, that ultimately bring you praise and honour and glory. Father, right now, if anyone is sitting here feeling condemned about decisions they've made, I pray that you would help them to turn that over to you and find the forgiveness that's in Jesus. Father, if anyone here is feeling pleased with the decisions that they've made and they've been good and godly, encourage them. Heavenly Father, for those who are facing decisions right now, I pray that they might seek you and find in you an answer that is pleasing to you. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.